All right. How about, can you hear me now? Yeah. All right. That's better. Much better. All righty. <coughs> okay. This is Rex. This is our first episode of our new podcast, learnthegame.com, learnthegamepodcast.com, technically. And I am here with Showtime 666. And our first topic on our first episode is going to be NBA Dynasty. We're going to start with the Lakers. We're going to go all the way up to Golden State Warriors. Get everyone in between. Maybe throw in a couple curveballs on you. We'll see. So, welcome. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. So, talking about NBA Dynasties. Obviously, it all starts with the Minneapolis Lakers, George Mike and Jim Pollard, Slater Martin, uh, what, Vern Mickelson, the original mm-hmm. power forward. Mm-hmm. Um, the coach, John Kundla, actually just died a few years ago. Can you believe that? Wow. The coach of the Minneapolis Lakers, the first ever NBA dynasty that started in the late forties, went to the mid fifties, just died a few years ago. I I didn't even know the guy was still alive when, but like in the nineties, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was like, I never heard his name mentioned. No, yeah. you don't. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, obviously the guy was brilliant, right? I mean, at least he knew how to get a team together. Yeah, but for sure. The thing with that team for, that I've noticed, I don't know what, you know, we, for all you listeners out there, we have conversed, but not on specifics of any of these teams. So we're both bringing totally different points of view to the program. So the thing I have noticed about that team, obviously everyone knows Mike and, you know, he's the reason why you have a 24 second shot clock. He's the reason why you have goaltending, you know, uh, basically the modern game was created. Those rules were all created as ways of limiting George Mikan. And those molded the modern game of basketball. Um, they invented so much stuff. I mean, the idea of a point guard, that one guard that was your ball handler, that would bring the ball up every time. That was Slater Martin. He was the first, he was a 5'10 Texan. He was the first point guard. Uh, they invented the high post offense. I mean, they did so much that is just overlooked. Um, they had no one to learn from. They, they were it. They were the beginning. It was, it was all what they made of it. Um, it took years for people to catch up. You know, really, uh, no one caught – really, I guess you can say no one caught up, right? Because uh, um, Mikan retired when he broke his 10th bone, basically. His, he broke his 10th bone, and he said, okay, I'm done. Too much pain, too much rehab, not worth it. They didn't make a bunch of money back then. And he retired. And then Bill Russell came in the next year. So even if Mike and hadn't of, you know, gotten worn down by all the injuries, I, I still see Bill Russell owning him, you know, 
<laughs> what yeah. do you think? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably so because he was the he was younger, fresher coming into the league. Uh, probably just as just as strong, just as big. So the one other the one thing I'd want to touch on with the Minneapolis Lakers is that they were also the first team to three peat. Yes. Um, so they, like you said, man, they broke the mold and no one caught up. So they also have a, a title, I believe, in 1949, uh, 47, 48, and 49 that the NBA doesn't even recognize. So, Yeah, I, mean, I can't remember look- what that original league was. Two leagues merged into the NBA in 1949. They had actually won the championship in that other league. I want yeah, to say the NBL. 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 Is that right? NBL. NBL and then the BAA. Yes, the BAA and the NBL. That yes. Good job. I did not remember them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but so, yeah. You know, so you can argue that there was a. Uh, I mean, obviously, the league was more limited then. It was not. Yes. It was not as it. You did not have the plethora of athletes that you have now. Obviously, we all know that. We don't need to argue that. But the fact is, if you look throughout history in any sport, the cream of the crop always has risen to the top. There, there was never a baseball player back in the 1930s that they said, you know, this guy, if he just came along 40 years later, he'd be great. You know, that was never said, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in any sport. The, the great players play great. That's that's just the way it, you know. So yeah, yes. there was a smaller sample size. We we understand that. Uh, once those two leagues got together, then you had all the pro players in one league. And so what I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not like you know when the Celtics were winning their last few in the '60s, which we'll get to in a minute. You know, there were two leagues. So you can say, okay, if there was no ABA, would the Celtics have won 11 in 13 years with Russell? Or those ABA players, if they would have went to the NBA, would it have changed the dynamic? But you see, you don't have that with those first Lakers because it's the exact opposite. They Mm -hmm. got great and were great when all the leagues condensed. Yep. When you had guys that were future Hall of Famers sitting on the bench because the guy in front of him was a Hall of Famer and there was no trading. You know, there was no trades back then, no free agents. or trades. So, you had guys that were sitting on the bench just having to wait three or four years to get their turn. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Just goes to show you, I mean – when there's fewer teams, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of what happens, man. I mean, the great, all the players that played in that league had to have been at least very good, if not great for most of them. So, I mean, you know, you got a lot of players that just had to bite their time before they got their number called. So I learned when I was, Oh, what town was that in? I was, it was in, uh, a town in Virginia called Manassas. They had a, a playground. And I went out there, and I was just getting into basketball. This is early 80s, 1980, 1981. And I got out there, and I was a teenager. 
you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was, you know, I was just ran them down the court and jumped up and down, you know, <laughs> and uh, they never passed me the ball. Cause I'm the only kid out there, but I'm going up and down the court and you had, you had great athletes out there. There's a lot of big guys, a lot of guys that had futures. And, uh, there was this one guy that he was a reverend. He was in his fifties and he smoked everybody <laughs> and he did nothing fancy. He didn't know no, no between the legs around the back, you know, all the, you know, all that he, he just executed perfectly every time, every pump fake, every rebound was squared and two handed chest passes, you know, boxing out, you know, a yep. powerful dribble that you could reach in and you'd hit the ball and you wouldn't knock it off track because he was pounding the ball so hard. He had such good ball control. Wasn't fancy. It was just completely effective. I found out that he had played in the NBA in the fifties. Wow. And then he left and joined the seminary, but, and he was only a bench player. I don't even remember what team, but he was about six, four ish. No playground guys couldn't handle him and he did nothing fancy. So that was when I learned that, you know, Hey, all these black and white photographs that I look at, those guys could really play. Yeah, man. <laughs> those guys, fundamentals. Yeah. Well, when you, we talk about that Laker team, two of those Lakers that I know of, in fact, maybe three, uh, were Marines in either World War II or Korea. Yep. So when you talk about, you hear guys say, well, the 90s were the most physical era. No. The fifties were the most physical era because these guys were all, they just came back from world war two. They were fighting, yeah. you know, the Japanese on Iwo Jima hand to hand combat. And then come back and saying, Hey, you want to play basketball? Yeah. I mean, these guys were, these guys were tough. <laughs> you know, Definitely. you know, they were tough, but Definitely. injuries mounted up. Uh, the age Got to remember back then they didn't have the nutrition we have now. They didn't have the training techniques. I mean, you had guys smoking and drinking beers in the locker room. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> uh, yep. It was just a different era. It was a different time. They didn't put, yeah. they didn't invest into their bodies because they weren't getting paid enough to invest. Like I, yeah. I read, did you read uh, LeBron James spends like uh, a million 300,000 a year on his body. Yep. On nutrition. I, training. I read that. Yes. Yeah. His you know, diet, his exercise. You know, his NBA yeah. players were getting paid like five grand a year back then. <laughs> yeah. Know? No, they had, they, that was their second. That was like their hobby job, man. Yeah. They're, you know, they were working. <laughs> they had jobs. Yeah. All professional but, athletes back then. Most of all NFL and NBA for sure. I don't know about yeah. baseball, but. Well, baseball was big money from Babe Ruth era. So right. I'm thinking guys like Mickey Mantle and, you know, stars, they they mm -hmm. I mean, they never had to do anything. But remember, Joe DiMaggio was Mr. Coffee. He sold coffee. Yeah. You know, he, he, he endorsed coffee, uh, coffee makers right. for like 30 years. So they made money outside. But the on the court, they didn't get paid. So they couldn't. It wasn't like LeBron saying, okay, I spend a million three on my body a year so I can keep playing, but when I play that extra year, I'm getting paid 30. Right. You know, so that's the equivalent to, you know, George Mike and saying, well, uh, I'll go, you know, I'll invest in a gym membership. 
you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. The same amount of money. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So they didn't play as long. 10 years, 12 years was a really long career. And then they got out and, you know, they did what, you know, whatever. I still yeah. think though, and I, I can't re- it was in sport magazine back in the seventies. I read an article and God, I wish I would have kept all my dad's old sport magazines, but it was talking about, it was some sort of preseason game or summer league game or, or, or something. It's so vague. I'm sorry. It's been 40 years since I read that article, maybe longer. And <laughs> it was Mike and trying to make a comeback and playing against Russell. And wow. he tried to he tried to do his little, you know, he had Mikan's uh Mikan's big advantage, other than being a big advantage, he was the biggest guy in the league, 6'10. The last couple of years of his career, he was 270. So right. he would still he'd still be in there banging today. He would be, you know, Mason Plumley songs, oh. you know. Yeah. Um but he was ambidextrous. He could use either hand. He could write with either hand. He could use either hand. So he mm-hmm. could go to his left, and he was just as efficient as going to his right. And the article talked about he got out there, and Russell came out, and, and you know he kind of had the attitude, okay, I'm going to show this hot shot new r- rookie. Because Russell had all the accolades coming in. He was college player of the year, back-to-back national champions, you know, revolutionizing defense by being the first guy that played off the court, above the rim. Uh-huh. And Mike and tried doing a right-handed hook, and Russell smacked it. <laughs> then they come back down, and he goes in, and he slams into Russell, and he gets his position on the low block, and he's right there, and he's he set. He gets the ball. He fakes to the right, and then he goes to do the, the left-handed, and Russell smacks it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of Mikan's comeback. Now, I don't know if that's true. That is just a vague recollection of an article I read as a small kid. I wish I could find that article. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that would be something. But now that brings us – Unless you have anything else to say about the original Lakers, that brings us to the Celtics. Good segue. Probably the most argued team ever. Really? I mean, don't you think so? I mean, you, you, I, you have people on both sides. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, you got people on both sides. You got people that sit there and go, man, 11 championships. You ain't beating that. 11 in 13 years. You know, eight then, straight. Yeah, eight straight. Yes, eight straight. God, how could I not mention that? Duh. And, you know, eight, nine Hall of Famers. But that's, you know, people say they had a stacked team. If you look at oh. the actual numbers, what they had was a team. Uh, Casey Jones is in the Hall of Fame. He mm-hmm. averaged seven points. He averaged uh, seven and a half points, uh, 4.3 assists, and 3.5 rebounds. Those were his averages. He's in the Hall of Fame. So when they sit there and say, oh, 
a stacked team. All right. It, it wasn't a stacked team. It's, and I know this from being older. I remember when I was a kid, you know, when you played little league, you know, the coach, all, all, all the coaches talked about in any team sport was the team, the team, 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 only the team, nothing else matters. What the team does. And then in 1980, that all changed. And now they started publicizing individual players. Yep. And individual play. So when you look back and you can't find any real information about the individual stats and accomplishments of the Celtics, it's not because they didn't have any. You know, they didn't win those championships by accident. They didn't trip, fall down, and land on the trophy. You know, they, they won right. them. Yeah. They won them. They beat Bob Pettit. They beat Oscar Robertson. They beat Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah. And beat Jerry time, West, Algin Baylor. Yes, yes. yes. And half the time, they were not the favored team. Uh, I saw a stat. Uh, are you aware of how many uh, game sevens? That Boston uh, played in their, yeah, during their run. I, I think uh, Bill Russell had played in 10 game sevens. And he's Yeah, I know up. it was. Yeah. <laughs> I know I, it was uh, a ridiculous amount. Yeah, but people will sit there and say they were a stacked team. That's why they won. And just walk away and, like, leave it at that. And it's like they were not a stacked team. They barely won half of those championships. <laughs> yeah, they they really truly did, and they, uh, they were a perfect team. I always hear man. you always hear modern fans talking about Jordan saying he's six and zero in the finals and never went to a game seven. Okay, then he was never tested. Bill Russell went to ten game sevens and won every one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he. Yeah, man. I mean, what can you say about Bill Russell? They named the they named the Finals MVP trophy after the man for a yeah. reason, you know? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, right. And um, now, when you when you look back, now I was born in 1968. The first okay. game I ever went to, my dad took me to, was the Lakers and the Bullets. And all I remember, I was very young. I was like either four or five. It was for my birthday, either my fourth birthday or my fifth birthday. And uh, all I remember from it is that I was, I just stared at Will Chamberlain. Because he was like the biggest human being I could ever imagine. I don't even remember. I didn't, I like, we went to see West because, you know, my mother kind of had a, a, kind of a, a roundabout connection to Jerry West. You know, she always rooted for Jerry West, but she was from West Virginia and, and everything. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of went to see Jerry West. But all I remember, the only memories I have of the whole game were just staring at Wilt. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, awesome. Yeah, and so even I never got to see this, the 60 Celtics all the information I have about it is just the boatloads of stuff that I read. And then I used to go to the Library of Congress in D.C. in the summer when I wasn't in school. My dad worked in D.C. across the street. 
at the treasury department and I would watch, you know, film. That was when they had of NBA games. Yeah. Uh, thank you, you know, freaking David Stern for not copying them onto digital. So now they, they're gone. We don't have them. Yep. And you get, you get some of these guys that have like old beta or VHS tapes that they made, you know, for their own use that they, they're putting these on, you know, YouTube and stuff. So you get to see some cool stuff. But I yeah. got to see a lot of the games. Yeah, and that's awesome, people man. That don't know, uh, I tell anybody uh, in their 30s, in their 20s, teenagers don't listen to me, so I don't even bother. <laughs> but I tell them, go watch as much of Russell as you can. Because if you want to be a great, this is what I did, and this is this is what this is actually what my first coaches told me to do when I first started playing basketball. I came from a track and field background, and I knew nothing about playing basketball. And they basically told me, grab every loose ball, grab every rebound, get it to your point guard, get down court, set picks. You know what I mean? I was that guy. That's how I started. That's how you learn the game. And Bill Russell became an all-time great player by playing that way. Yes, sir. You know? And he had a track and field background, too, I believe, didn't he? Yes, he was ranked. uh, Actually, it was uh, one of our friends, I believe it was Ebo, that told me that – he was ranked seventh in the country in the high jump. Yeah. Seventh in the country. And it, he wasn't like a six, five wing player. He was a center. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's impressive, man. Yeah. I believe it is Wilt Chamberlain archives on YouTube have a video of Bill Russell hurdling a player in cot in college <laughs> and actually dropping the ball down into the basket he jumps he jumps from like a foot inside the free throw line hurdles the guy and then he can't even he almost misses the shot because he can't even stretch his arm out his arm is like bent at a 90 degree angle and he drops the ball in the basket because he's about to slam into the backboard damn yeah i mean people don't understand he was, you know, back then before skills were as overdefined as they are now. Like you had, you, in my opinion, this is my opinion. We, you know, and then you can give me your opinion. My opinion is they skill is not something that is um, measurable. Uh, quantifiable like you can't look at a guy and say okay uh on you know on a percentage scale of skill he's a 90 you know 92 percent skill level it's not like a video game or something right um if you take a great guy from back then they didn't do all the fancy dribbling and everything because they weren't allowed to you had carrying palming traveling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know on defense you had force outs which for you young guys, that means if you got too close to the sideline, the defensive player could just chuck you out of bounds like a defensive back in football 
and it's called a force out. They don't call a foul on you, and they don't call the offensive player out of bounds. They just give them the ball back, and they got to throw it in. That was a rule. Okay? That was a rule there. Yeah. yeah. You know, you had two-hand hand-checking. You literally could shove the offensive player with both hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. it, it, the game was different. But – because it was a game like that, you didn't have the kind of fancy – like people talk about, oh, Pistol Pete. Pistol Pete was an amazing ball handler, but he did tricks. Yeah. Okay? He did not have the uh, instinctive handle of a Kyrie Irving because he grew up different. They didn't, they didn't grow up, you know, doing all the – you know, that you know dribbling like Kyrie did his entire childhood. Yeah you know, all the way up and the ball on a string type thing to the level that they yeah. have today because that that's not how the game was played then. It was a game. Yep. You know, and the point of the game was to win the game. They didn't focus on it. it guys that went between the legs around the back and all that were considered hot dogs. You know, Bob Cousy was the first one to do it in a game and get away with it. Yeah. And to be honest with you, it was because he was a little white Catholic boy in Boston. Is mm-hmm. the only way is the only reason he got away with it. Yeah, and they bench you, man, if you were hot shotting like that and stuff. It was yeah, almost like a sign of disrespect. Yes. Yeah. But with that Celtics team, you had a perfect team. Your main player did not care about scoring. Nope. That is very very rare. And what that opens up, like I have, I always hear people talk about, you know, another few, you know, another dynasty we're going to come to with the Bulls. Well, Jordan never had any help, you know, until Pippen matured. Well, that's because they couldn't sign any free agents because no one wanted to play with Jordan. Yes. Because you know you weren't going to get the ball. Yep. That's just how it was. So you're not getting anyone. Jordan was was a you know amazing scorer and he was not giving it up. No. That's why the, he always they, averaged 30 points a game every season in the 80s that he yeah. played, you know. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't giving it up. So you're not going to get a guy like like the only reason they got George Gervin was cuz they got him when Jordan broke his foot. And when Jordan came back, he didn't want to play with Gervin. So Gervin was gone. That was his last year. Yep. But when your main player, and this is why the Lakers, the dynasty of the 80s that you wanted to talk about, that's how mm-hmm. they were able to get and keep, you know, Mac and, you know, Byron Scott, Worthy. You got, you know, Kareem down low because yep. the guy that made the team run, Magic, was a passer. Yep. He didn't demand the ball. To score, anyway. When you got a guy like Russell who just says, I'm going to grab the rebound and give it to you. I'm going to block the shot and smack it to you. Then you go do your thing. That that makes all the guys, you know, like when Donnie Nelson, I believe it was, came from uh, the Lakers. He had, he had been playing for the Lakers, and he got cut because all he could do was score. Couldn't play defense, save his life. 
Yeah. Boston took him. And Bill Russell said, hey, you don't have to play defense. Just no score need the for you to play ball. defense. Yeah. Just, just score the ball. That's all I need you to do. <laughs> yep. No, you that's, that's true, man. That's and, a good point. Know, and I always, I always wish to see modern players play like the old guys and see how it would turn out. I would love to see a guy like Giannis that has that kind of athletic ability say, you know what, I'm not going to do it at the offensive end. I'm going to do, I'm going to make all my highlight plays on the defensive end. You guys go score. And, and see how it changes the dynamics of that team. Yeah. But you see, the problem is now, you know, scoring, scoring gets you, gets you money. Yeah. You know, Well, those defensive highlights aren't as uh, – they're not as sexy as <clears> – pardon me. They're not as sexy as the offensive highlights, man. You know, it's not it's, – scoring is where it's at. You know, that's yeah. and that, that's where all the top ten sports center plays and all this and yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, yep, yep. Can you, ima- can you imagine or... – can you imagine ESPN in the 60s? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> No, I didn't actually. It, it would it would be all it would be all Wilt, Elgin Baylor. Yeah. Jerry West. <laughs> yeah, some Russell. Jerry some Jerry West thirty footers and uh well, I guess you'd probably have some Oscar Robertson passes in there. Yeah, I'm sure you would. Some Bob Cousy behind the back passes. But I mean, you know, it'd be like watching a old Australian soap opera or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So, with our sec- with our second one here, we got eight champ or eight championships in a row, eleven total, going from fifty six to sixty nine. I mean, yeah. really, the 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 names that they had to beat to, to yeah, win those true. championships, you know, are like. For the for the first couple decades of the league, they're the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, you know, that's another thing too that I don't get. Like with, and we're going to talk about him later too. But you know, the Jordan the goat debate, and uh, while Russell didn't, they only played nine teams. They didn't beat nobody. You know, that's not true, man. They yeah. Well, here's the thing: they, I always thought about that. And I did this. I did this because I used to be one of those guys. Like I said, it wasn't until I watched a 50-something-year-old guy smoke all of my heroes at the local playground before I realized, hey, guys, back in the 50s, they could play today if they, if they wanted to. They were still the best of the best. But yeah. um, I think it was eight in Russell's rookie year. And then it went nine, seven, then back down to nine, then 10, 12, and by 69, it was 14 teams. Yeah. So I went and I checked. And looking back, and this is directly related to this show being about dynasties, since 1980, 40 years, I think it's. 12 teams have won the NBA championship. 12. So all those extra teams don't mean squat. No. No, 
14 teams, and it wouldn't have made any difference. No. Because only 12 teams have won the championship in, like I said, 40 years since 1980. And how many out of all out of the teams that have won it, too, how many have only won it once, like Cleveland and Dallas, I think? And Yeah. All the other teams are at least two-time NBA champions, oh, I believe. Uh, Sixers, right? Wasn't the 83 Sixers, their, 80, right? Was that the only championship year? Yeah, 83. Yeah. Now, they did win in 67 with – not part of the going back to 1980. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's okay. So yeah, the Sixers. Yeah. But I mean, if Toronto, you go out throughout Toronto, the history, one, of the, one. Toronto. There you go. There's another one. But all yeah. that's in the modern era, or you know, quote unquote, the modern era. All that's after the millennium, the turn of the yeah. millennium, too, man. So yeah. I mean, that's the thing is people talk about you know the dynasties, which is you know, duh, it's what we're talking about. But there's no parity in the NBA. No. There's no parity. No, it's real top-heavy, man. And I think think the problem is, and we talked about this before our show, everybody out there, the reason for dynasties is because they may make more teams. Yeah, you know, when Russell started, there were eight. Now they're 30. So you have almost 500 players now. You have 30 teams of 16. Back then you had eight teams of 10. And so you had so many more players. You have so many more owners. You have so many more managers. You have so many more coaches. I don't think there's that many great coaches. And no, I think that's I, the problem. I uh, was talking to, you know, our Jedi master, you know, Universe Galaxy. Shout out to him. He's the reason this podcast exists. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, he sat there and was talking to me once. And we had mentioned that there was, I think it's five coaches have accounted for 75% of all NBA finals. With Wow. Popovich, um, I'm drawing a blank here. Phil. Jackson, yes, Phil. Uh, Auerbach. Riley. Yeah, I said Riley. Didn't I say Riley? Okay. Yeah, you may have. R- Riley, Phil... Auerbach, Popovich. Yeah, I'm drawing a total blank. I'm sorry. Maybe it was Kundra. And, and, and Kundra. Mm-hmm. All together account for 75% of NBA finals. They may not have won them, but they got to the finals. Those five coaches account for three for history of the NBA finals. Wow. That's insane. Yeah, that, that's, that's just, and that's why I always tell, I always throw out there in these discussions on YouTube, players are pawns. Players are for the fans to root for. Coaches and owners decide who wins. Yeah, uh, well said. And no, no, 
normal fans, they casual fans don't want to listen because whoever they see running between the baskets, that's who controls everything in their mind. Right. It's like the guy, you know, my dad told me when I was a kid, if you see the guy sweating, he ain't in charge. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. If you see the guy sweating, he ain't in charge. Uh, Yeah. But, you know, our back built that team and he was shrewd, man. He was shrewd. Some of the trades that he made, some of the deals he made were just, I mean, we look back at it and all and go, oh, my God, he was so great. He was, you know, because he, he did everything. He had no assistant coaches. He had, he had no, he had one secretary in the office. That was it. He scheduled the team buses, the team flights, the hotels. You know, he, he ran the practices. He did everything except wash the uniforms. <laughs> he ran everything. I don't think he could coach today the way that he did back then. What Probably not. Probably not, man. It's. I mean, could you imagine like LeBron? Because didn't didn't LeBron <clears throat> leave Miami because he didn't like something Riley said to him or something? Like he didn't let his family on a plane or something? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. Didn't and didn't then, didn't let his family or like his brother in law or his uncle or something into the facility or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, our back was. <laughs> none of these guys would have been able to play for our back. No way, but I, I don't like you say too, man. I don't think just that styles it's lost to history, man. It's too we're too woke of a culture now for any of that stuff to fly, you know. I don't yeah. think that style would work anymore. That's that's what I mean. It's everyone is like a, a creature of their time. Now I know that almost sounds like a contradiction from saying great players play great. But I'm talking about coaching, not playing. I'm right. not talking about skill level. Like Jordan, the, the big thing is, you know, Wilt has that famous quote about Jordan saying, well, you know, he tried playing, you know, he tried going in, doing those fancy dunks on us back in the 60s. We would have put him on his butt, you know, and it, right. his coach because he but you know, the dude played at North Carolina. He he doesn't have. He can play with stuff. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, he he, yeah. could, he still would have been great. He still would have been able to do what he did. He just wouldn't have had all the highlights like that if he had played yeah. back in the fifties and sixties. But yeah, I agree. It also goes the other way, don't you think? I mean, if Bill Russell played today, he'd be eating some people up. Oh, for sure. <laughs> no doubt about it, man. Especially in today's game where, you know, I don't know. I don't even know who who is a very – who's a great big man right now, you know? Well, that's the thing, though. The guy that is actually the best center in the league, statistically, I believe – and, yes, I did just say statistically with, like, seven S's um, – <laughs> was uh, Jokic, right, for Denver? He's playing, oh, yeah, he's playing point center this year. Yeah. He's playing point uh, he's center. Okay, but the dude can't jump. 
He's like seven three, like what two eighty something like that. Yeah, yeah, he's a big he's, dude. He he's not fast. He's not quick. He's just smart and strong. So, so why are you telling me that, like guys like Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell and Bob Pettit? And I know Bob Pettit's not seven three. I know that. And, you know, these guys and George Mikan couldn't play today when the best big man in the game today, arguably, I understand you can say Embiid, you can say, you know, other guys, Anthony yeah. Davis, you know, obviously there is up go. there. But Dokic, or Jokic, not however you pronounce his name, I'm sorry. Right. Uh, I think Dokic is a tennis player, isn't he? I but think so. Jokic, yeah, it's but, a Jokic. Yeah, but Jokic, J O K I C. Yeah, uh, he doesn't jump. He doesn't run. He's. I mean, basically, he. You know, he plays like a 1960s center, except he can shoot a three. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, Chamberlain and Russell were far more superior athletes than he is. I would say, like athletically. Yeah. You know they they were much more of a well-rounded athlete overall than Jokic is. And the last thing I mean, I'll Davis say. Davis was an interesting one. He, he, could, he could have probably held back then, too. Who's that? Anthony Davis. He's a, he's a good athlete. Oh, yeah, Anthony Davis. <laughs> Anthony Davis has always been kind of a, a, a mystery to me. I mean, when you see his highlight plays – he makes it look so easy that you just wonder why isn't this guy averaging wilt like numbers? Yeah. Because, you know, like he'll grab the ball and he'll pump fake on like a 15 footer and then dribble like a small forward, go around his initial guy, change direction around a second guy and then dunk over top of a third guy. And he's not even like, it wasn't even effort. Yeah, it's just smooth and under control. He's not super fast. He's not super quick. He's just extremely efficient at everything. And it's like, why isn't this guy averaging forty and twenty? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel you. I don't get <laughs> for it. sure. I actually think he did have a game like that when he was with New Orleans, though. I think he had a fifty-point, twenty-five rebound game. Yeah, he had a good game the other night, also, man. I think. Uh, I don't remember what the stat line was, like 30. And he had a triple-double, I thought, but could be mistaken. Well, he's had a few. <laughs> yeah, he, he's good. He's a, he's a good one. Okay, last thing I'll say about the 60 Celtics. I think that was perfect team ball. I think if you if you were to talk to like a, a high school coach who's trying to teach young minds how to play the game, they would rather have their high school team play like the 60 Celtics than like the 20 Lakers. Yes. You know what I'm I saying? agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's where a lot of fans don't recognize the greatness is that they were the team that your little league coach would always try to preach to you that you should be. Yeah. Where everyone yeah, had yeah. a role. 
you know, no, nope. the, the epitome of team ball, man. That's yeah, that's what they were from top to bottom. They were. What, what can now, you say? Arguably the greatest dynasty of in all of American sports history, man. You could say. Yeah, really. I mean, I mean, if you wanted to try and like say, like, what maybe uh, um, Yankees of the twenties with Gehrig and Ruth, yeah, Murderers Row, all that stuff. Um, the Edmonton Oilers of the NHL back in the eighties with Messier and. that hockey playing guy, what's his name? Gretzky. Yeah, Gretzky. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're, but no one. I think basketball, just because it's basketball. Yeah. You, know, you, it, you, it's really hard to just tell your friends, "Hey, man, let's go out and play some hockey." Right. You know, you, other than soccer, the easiest game to just go out and play is basketball. True. I mean, you can go anywhere. You can basically go on six continents these days and get a good game of basketball within 30 minutes of getting out of the airport. Yep. I know because I've done it. <laughs> yeah. You can, man. Now, this is a rough segue. Must tell everybody. This is a rough segue. Getting, getting from the 60s through the 70s, you really don't have – any dynasty you can talk about the the Knicks you know for a few years 70 and 73 you know right through that window there they were it you know yeah people people talk about the Celtics Hall of Famers look you know look at that Knicks lineup you know I mean the great Phil Jackson was a bench player yeah you know but you got you got Willis Reed, Pearl Monroe, uh, Clyde Frazier, Dave DeBusher. Um, I'm forgetting uh, Bill Bradley. Bill Bradley. All Hall of Famers. And then, like I said, Bill Jackson sitting from the bench, you know, learning. Yep. Um, who else? What? The Bullets went to four finals in the 70s. But they only won one of them. Yeah. But they went to four finals in this. People don't. The Bullets, my home team, went to four finals in the 70s. Yeah. They lost to Milwaukee with Kareem Abdul Jabbar in 71. They lost to the Golden State Warriors in 75. Golden State Warriors' first title with Rick Barry. Yep. And I believe they still had an old Nate Thurman then. I think. Didn't they I think they still had Nate Thurman on that team. Sounds right. Then they won against Seattle and then they lost the next year to Seattle. And that brings us to the dynasty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um what yeah, you, re- like you really got to say? Change basketball. Change yeah, change like, how fans look at basketball. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, Universe Galaxy earlier, man, and this is one where 
this is a point of emphasis that he makes where uh, a lot of, you know, his, his is more Jordan related, but a lot of Jordan fans, you know, this is where they count. This is where the modern era begins more or less, you know, and <clears throat> to a lot of people. A lot of people don't know one of the backstories. The NBA office. And he had assumed the duties of the assistant commissioner. I don't know what his actual title was, but is getting older. Politely put it. Stern, Stern was doing more and more. And Stern knew he was going to be the next commissioner. Yeah. He was like doing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff at this point as a top assistant. Yeah. Was he was in the stands at the NCAA championship between Indiana State and Michigan State. And as a, I think it was a was talking to I or whoever she was at the game. She knew Matt Johnson, Irvin Johnson, right. but she mm-hmm. and he was like. People here at these championship teams that are playing. All they know, yeah, kids know, is magic against. We have been promoting our game the wrong way, and the next year, which was Bird and Magic's rookie year, he had working. Started pushing for the rules committee to start laxing on some of the brought in the flag that year. Before it's just a foul. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's tweet. They came in with foul. Uh, the next year. They came in with the three point line, which was originally adopted in the ABA by. Then, in all these channels, they started really listening to violations. They started with the defense. And what you got it's like when you'd always see Jordan go baseline and bump reverse or Dr. J. Uh, I believe it was the eight finals. Go in and do that sweeping, go around to the other side of the basket, reverse layup. None of those plays were possible before then because of the force out. Driving down the baseline, defender would just bump them out of bounds. 
and they'd call a force out, and they'd throw the ball in from the baseline. So you didn't have those plays. Guys could do yeah. those plays. Don't you that? Any any athletic six foot four guy can do a reverse fancy double pump reverse layup. You see guys on the playground doing it, doing them all day. Yeah, yeah. They could. Those guys back in the fifties and sixties could have done those if the rules had permitted them. But you can. Yep. Chance. You. Seven. NBA championship. Try and drink some coffee. Make sure you stay away lights. <laughs> it's boring as hell. Watch the highlights from the very next year, the 1980 finals. The rules makers, which changed the game to make it yeah. fan friendly. That was all David Stern's idea. Yep. Yeah, he that created Showtime. The Showtime Lake. Showtime. Yes, sir. Now he I got a question for you, and this is one very few people I didn't even know this until like who okay. showtime offense. Who invented showtime offense? Who? And this, this is what's funny because on our own, I remember but the at the beginning of Georgia, excuse me, its rookie year, came up with no-time offense. But then he had an accident or a heart attack or something like that, and he only coached, like, a handful of games and had to retire. And uh, took over. Yeah. And they won... And won the championship with Westhead. And then Westhead was replaced because he was clashing with Magic and Riley took over from there. But that that coach, and God, it's, it's driving me crazy that I can think of his name. He played, he coached like 13 games. He's the one that came up with the with the showtime, how it was going to run the work. And then because of an accident or because of a medical medical issue of some sort, he had to retire from coaching. And he never got credit. No no one remembers him. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, we can't even remember his name now. I can remember Like, (laughs) anyway, that proves my point. The fact that I can't remember it proves the point. There you go. Right. Um, this dynasty, this yeah. was a dynasty, man. It that was, I mean, started when they drafted Magic, and well, all right. Let's be honest, though. If Jordan had been drafted to a team with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on it, they would have won championships. You know, if, yeah. If LeBron yeah. had been drafted into a team that had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on it, you're going to win championships, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, but that's one too where you talked about Russell earlier being a, a selfless or an unselfish leader. 
you know, Magic Johnson ran the point and he, you know, he knew he could get heels whenever he wanted, but he made sure everyone else got theirs too, man. And it, it goes to show they won, uh, what they went to nine finals during that time. Nine finals, played in five championships. Straight, won five championships. Uh, you know, yeah, they. I mean, what what else can you say, man? There, that's showtime. And but the, I mean, I remember Jerry Buss, and he bought the team from Jack Kent Cook. Jack yes. Kent Cook owned the team when. He brought Wilt there, and Jack Hancock sold the team. He bought the Redskins, turned the Redskins into Super Bowl champions, and Jerry Buss took the Lakers and really from his personality, from the stuff I've read, like from Kobe, Magic, and those guys, that really Buss – Created a team out of like his sheer will. Like he had this image in his head of what Showtime Lakers were going to be. Like they had, yeah. they had the first dance team with uh, Paula Abdul was the choreographer. They were the yep. first team to have a dance team. They were the first team to play music during the timeouts and everything. Everything that we take for granted now. Everything we're missing watching the coronavirus, you know, that's going on now, everything we're missing, Jerry Buss created. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He had an image of what he wanted. Bet because he, I remember he said, uh, just winning isn't enough in L.A. There's too many other things to do. Yeah. To get people to come to your games Remember, they're choosing going to a basketball game over going to a a play, a movie, a concert. You have to give them the same type of spectacle. And he yep. pulled it off. He was a showman. He, sh- he pulled it he off. He sure did. He had the right people, you know? He did. And, he definitely did. And the brilliant to me, He's that team first player. Sure, that everyone else is in. Boys worries about. But yeah, I really think what gets overlooked because of the way that he carries himself. People really overlook Kareem. Yeah. I mean, when Mecca came in, Kareem was talking about retiring. Yep. He had been in the league 11 years. You know, he was getting ready to start his 11th season. He had already been a five-time. Uh, M- yep. He was thinking about quitting. And Magic, with that infectious enthusiasm, got, and, and he said this, this isn't me, 
you know, talking crazy stuff. This, you can research it and find interviews where Kareem says this, that he fell in love with basketball again. Yeah. And people don't really, I mean, I'm almost 52 years old. You know, until six months ago, I had never been out of work for two weeks. Adult life. Right. And I still did not work as long as Kareem did. <laughs> right. No, yeah, man. Yeah. Kareem. Uh... I mean, basketball, I believe it was eight. And played it, I believe, it 29 consecutive years. 29 consecutive seasons. Of being, if the best at he was at, mm-hmm. he was at. Yeah, yeah. Kareem was he was the man. I mean, but he's quiet. All time leading scorer. He's he yeah. He just doesn't have that personality that that Magic Johnson had. But I mean. He's he's an all-time talk about a goat candidate. I mean, there's two of them playing on one team right here, you know. Yeah. It's, and not to mention the other guys too, like uh, James Worthy, yeah, Worthy. Who came in a little bit later. Uh, Bob uh, McAdoo Finals MVP, Bob McAdoo, uh, Byron Scott, Byron Scott. Green. Which, what what happened to Byron Scott's coaching career? I don't know. I mean, he <laughs> sure, was. Uh, I thought he was going to be like another, you know, another. Didn't he take the? Wasn't he coaching like the New Jersey Nets when they got to the finals? Or am I wrong? Yeah, he no, nah, he coached them to to back to back finals. Yeah, appearances. and like he's, I guess he just got fed up. I mean, the guy proved he could coach. I mean, look at that team. That team had no business being in the finals. Yeah, well, but he, that was a, you know, that was a different story. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe something happened there in his personal life that I'm unaware of. I don't know. But I thought he was going to be another great coach. And, like, I just realized it when we're naming off names. Whatever happened. Yeah. Uh, you got Cooper. You got Cooper. You know, defensive Cooper. Cooper. Um, yes, sir. Yeah, Globo. I mean, that, that team now, their wars with Boston. Now, we're all agree of the 80s but yes Philly's team that Philly team and then the 86 Celtics Celtics they were for a brief point this is good yeah but no, that, they, that, they, no you know but in a nutshell yeah that that uh that what was the 72, 73 Sixers team? Or 82 or 83, 83. Sixers team? Yeah, the 82, 83 Sixers team where you had the you had Dr. J, obviously. Your forwards were Dr. J and Bobby Jones, two Hall of Famers. Your star was Moses yep. Malone, Hall of Famer. Your point guard yep. was Bruce Cheeks, Hall of Famer. And your yep. shooting guard was Andrew who, if he could have stayed healthy. Easy. 
that's one of the that that right there too, man. It's funny in the right in the middle of these two dynasties. We're about to get to Boston here in a minute too. Of the eighties, you had this one team for that one year with Philly that is arguably you can make arguments for them being the greatest team of all time too, man. Easy. Well, they're my pick. They are my pick. We'll have another show, you know, at a later time talking about those and. In an individual, right? Basketball, where you got five positions, a multitude of the history of the game. How can you say when there's so many? Yeah, no, I, if you're going to talk I, I about a in a team sport, the greatest of all time has right. I think for one year, just was dynasty. You know, Lakers pretty much era. They had five, but for that one year, that team, I think they lost one playoffs. Yeah, I think they lost one to. I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, Moses Malone had the famous prediction, you know, Fofo. Yep. They were going every series, and they almost did. They, they, I believe they, I, it, they lost. I think so. With Bob Lanier. Bob Lanier had come from Detroit and was in Milwaukee. And you had young Terry Cummings, uh, Sidney Moncrief, two time. Defensive Player of the Year. Now I'm forgetting someone else. There was actually I actually uh, played on the playground with a guy named Don Collins that played for Milwaukee back in those days. Yeah, he was a bench player, but like scorer off the bench. Uh huh. But that's the only team I believe that won a game. I think they shut everyone else. <laughs> Yeah, they including these uh, same Lakers for the NBA championship, yeah. I believe. And uh, I don't know how good your memory is about it. Isn't that the series that Magic shot so horribly bad, and they basically blamed the loss on Magic? Yeah, Tragic Johnson. Yeah, where he just could not hit that. an open shot. Yeah, that was that was it. I believe it was. Well, I think it was really just a, a thing. Of- yeah. Because, I mean, Maurice Cheeks, when he retired, was the all-time steals leader. He got passed by John Stockton. But Mo Cheeks was the all-time steals leader, and you know, Magic couldn't cover, you know, Andrew Tony, the wrangler. Yeah. You know, couldn't cover Dr. J. You know, very few could at that point. Right. You know, so it, you, no matter who he was having to cover at the defensive end, he, he was struggling, and that's going to, you know, carry over to the offensive end. Of course, yeah. But, yeah, I'll have to go back and watch some highlights 
believe that was the year when he had a really bad. I don't, it, it may not have been bad. And here's the thing so many people just look at stats. Right. And go, oh, well, you know, he had a bad series. He may pass numbers still, but you, like, you can have a triple double, but then at the end of a close game, not hit the open man under the basket that can win the game, you know? Yep. The, not the goat in the bad way, be the scapegoat. But yeah, you still have to catch. You know, there's people just look at stats too much and they, they don't actually look at the. If you listen to pro players talk when they're interviewed, the, the phrase that you'll hear them say in every is they're just trying to make a play. Yep. They're trying to make a play because that's what changed every, all these sports like baseball is infamous for it is a streak. You get on a roll, you get the zone and you just yeah. in basketball, you're, you're in a zone. Yep. And the guys on the other team aren't worried about their. Right. No one's yeah. Why well, I, I got to get a triple double? You know, no one's none, none of them are thinking that way. They're thinking, I need to make a play. I need to die. You know, dive in the passing lane, knock away a, a loose ball, grab a. You know, force a miss, get out on the break, and you know, lane and get set, set pick. They're trying to make a play. And when you look, when you go through history and you look at these teams that are dynasties, they're all complete teams with the guys that are just trying to make plays. You know, yep. that, that 80s Lakers team's got, you know, you got guys like Cooper and Rambus, you know, yep. guys that are just going out there trying to make a play. AC Green. You see greens underrated. That, that that's all these guys are trying to do. You know, back in the sixties, you you know, you had God, you can name for the Celtic types of players. Right. You you had guys that they're not the guys that get twenty every time they go out or fifteen. Their guys are going out there and they're just making plays. They, they may only average 10 rebounds, uh-huh. but they're the guys that get that 50-50 ball 80% of the time and, yep. and give you that extra two or three possessions that gives you that point win. Yes, but sir. You, but you see that in statistics. And all the, the thing that just dawned on me is all these dynasties that we're talking about, especially – those teams are guys. Yeah. Front court, back court, off the bench, the guys that make they're not yep. Hall of Fame stars even. Guys that 
the coaches drool on to be honest. Yeah. With you. So, yeah. You know, the guy that every, you know, probably the greatest guy that ever played that role is Rodman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can't think of it better off the top of my head. Right there at the yeah. end of the 80s with Detroit. And then you see him again. And, you know, in the latter half of the 90s, a decade later, yep. in a totally different position. And throughout his whole career, he was that guy that made a yeah. play. Grabbed that. And he was a winner. Yeah, he, he got it. It, was, it didn't even have to be demonstrative. He's the... Remember when he frustrated yep. back? Yeah. You know, when he got into Carl Malone's head. In the <laughs> no. Yeah, he really. But he got Shaq so frustrated that Shaq concentrating, taking his advantage. Yep. And he got Shaq and Shaq basically took himself out of the game. If Shaq could have ignored yeah. all Antics dominated. Rodman was so good at getting you in all positions. And I, I've played with guys like that. There were a couple of times I was that guy where they yeah. get you in an awkward position and you stop focusing on the on the ball and you're focusing on not hurting yourself. Yep. And you're done because you nine guys on the quarter focusing on getting the ball. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. This this uh, Laker dynasty was stacked too from top to bottom. Man, they had great. They were great in the front office. They had a great coach. They uh, they had a great they had a great superstar, couple of great superstars, and then they had a bunch of uh, a bunch of solid role players too man those guys like you say get that 50 50 mm. ball those hustle stats the get it stuff guys that doesn't yeah. come out in the yeah stuff that you don't see in the box score but that totally turns the momentum of a game man when mm. when those plays are made and that was actually the only stat when i played that i was always conscious of i would not know at the end of a game at any level i did not know how many points i had how many assists how many how many loose balls I got and how many charges I got. Nice. Those, you know, are be a, you know, be a, a great player in the game. Yeah. Just be that guy. <laughs> yep. But, you know, that Celtics team, if Bird could have stayed healthy and McHale could have stayed healthy, maybe take one of those away from the Lakers. Maybe. Yeah. Or if Lid Bias doesn't pass away. Oh, don't even, don't even, oh. My heart. But ate. that's one too, man. You my know, heart, you... dude, I that's the area I, that era too. Yeah. On the playground, I saw him. Airline. Only play. Well, 
No, I, I did pretty – when I first got into basketball, Patrick Ewing was just coming to Georgetown. And I was really into – and he's really the guy that got me interested in playing basketball. But Len Bias just it to me. And never had another basketball. No, I – Yeah. That was when I became – you know, I turned 18 that year. So yeah. – you know, I wasn't worshiping any basketball player right. anyway. But he was the one I worshipped. In fact, I had a jersey. I had a biased Maryland jersey uh, that I had had for 30 years that I finally did away with a couple of years ago. Wow. But, yeah, if bias, I mean, Bird, Bird, Bird used to play with him. Our back was so sneaky. He had a basketball camp in the summer, mm-hmm. and it was one of those like week long basketball camps, you know. Yeah. And what he did is top high school players, guys like Bice, would come to the camp, and little kids. So Bice would be coaching like. Mm-hmm. Then they'd have that. And then in the evening, when all, all the kids right. played, you know, parents were spending like 300 to go to this camp or whatever. <laughs> they go around to the dorm rooms and they get the top guys like Lenny and, you know, Brad Doherty and, and all these guys. And Bird and some, you know, Dennis Johnson and these guys would be in waiting. And then during these basketball camps, nice played against bias in these camps, and he knew what bias meant. And people want to say, Oh, there it is. Says Magic says LeBron the goat. I'm not even going to say that. Bird said if they had drafted Bias, he was retired. Yeah, <laughs> he was going to play with. Me. He told Red Auerbach, "If you draft Len Bias, I will come to rookie camp. I will play with him every day. He can room with me on the road, and in two years, I'm here." Yep. And yeah, here's the thing. People in hindsight will say, yeah, that's because Bird had hurt his back. Right? Uh-huh. So he was looking to hand over the reins of the team. This was before he hurt his back when that happened. Yeah. He hurt his back in 87, I believe. Yeah. This is eighty draft of 86. So, yeah, but you see, at that point, uh, okay, the Lakers won 88, right? Back to back. Bias would have been in Boston, but the Lenny that he could have been, even if he had looked, he still might have been a drug addict. He might have had Carpley or another. Yeah. 
Yeah, baby. Who I believe Chris Washburn came out in that draft too. Yeah. Yeah, he was another one issues. But if he had worked out, man, I mean, that's, you know, we're about to get into Boston in the 80s too. That's the that's a good bridge. Yeah, that's a good bridge between, you know, I don't know if he would have gone quite as long as to the big three in Boston, but I mean, they wouldn't have been as down in the dumps for as long as they were if uh, Lynn Bias had lived to play and, you know, overcame his demons. That's for sure. Don't, don't, don't forget uh, Reggie Lewis. He died in yeah. like 90, where was that? 92, 93 or something yeah, like that. 90, yeah, I think so, 92. But wow, they would have been together. But the thing is, if they had, if Bias had lived, I don't think they would have gotten a high enough draft pick to get Reggie. Probably not. There's ramifications for all of them. It's like, I believe it was number six, 28. The reason no one else drafted Bird was because no one else knew he was eligible. Because. He still had one year of eligibility at Indiana State, but because he had went to Indiana originally and then left school after like two weeks and then went to another school, then went to Indiana State, he graduated college in 78. He got a degree in 78. So by NBA rules, he could be drafted. Yeah. But he was still going to go to college one more year because he had one more year of eligibility. And only Red Auerbach was aware of the rule, which they then called the Larry Bird rule and changed it and said you actually have to apply for the draft. You have to put your name into the draft. It used to be they could just draft you. If you graduated college, they could draft you, period. People didn't uh, realize Bird was available because Bird had already said he was coming back for another year. But he had graduated. He had a degree. So Auerbach drafted him. <laughs> yeah. And when he played, uh, when they were the number one team in the country and were 30-0 and or 32-0 and going into the game uh-huh. against Magic in Michigan State, he was already drafted the year before. But wow. if he had refused to sign his contract, his name would have went back. If he had been available, they would have drafted Bird and not Magic. Wow. How would that have changed? Imagine that. <laughs> what would the Lakers have looked like with Bird and Kareem? Pretty damn good still, I'd imagine. Yeah, there wouldn't have been a, a showtime. No. But. but the, Championships yeah. still. I, we're, you know, did they still end up, you know, getting McHale and getting the trade for Harris? Right. And it, it all falls in the, you know, it's not just one dominoes. 
So now we're yeah. count here at, at the late eighties. I don't know if you want to count Detroit as a dynasty. Uh, they're like a, a mini one. They're a little bit of a bridge between the yeah. the the, the one 80s. thing the one note the one thing about Detroit that irks me as a Bullets fan growing up is the real people don't understand bad boys. They think Detroit bad boys because Detroit was the most successful basketball team that played that way. Right. The Eastern Conference by the I mean, remember in the finals, I think it was 85 when Randy on the breakaway and I think it was Gale and Dennis Johnson just Yep. I mean, the whole East, you know, Boston, Philadelphia, but that style of play, the bad boys started in Washington. Rick mm-hmm. Warren was drafted and I believe it was 1980 or 1981 out of Hampton Institute. Uh, small, he played small college, just like Pippen, just like Rodman. He played at a small college, and he was a scorer in college. I think he averaged like 28 game, led the nation in scoring in colleges. And he got drafted by the Bullets, and Wes Unseld taught him how to play that way. Nice. Then Unseld retires. They have Jeff Ruland. And Jeff Ruland and Rick Mahorn were called the Bruise Brothers because they it's not out of yet. I remember one play, uh, down the middle, and Rick Mahorn, when he was young, used to cover Dr. J. Yeah, Rick Mahorn used to be the guy they'd put on Dr. J because he. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't have great games against Washington because he was literally getting just knocked around. I remember one play, he went down the middle to do a finger roll, that famous finger roll of his. And I'm looking yep. up, our baskets were behind, or our, our seats up. And I see his hand go up. And he's just about to release this beautiful finger roll. And all of a sudden, he goes face down to the floor. And he's <laughs> holding his foot. <laughs> <laughs> he just grabbed Doc's foot. <laughs> then when he got uh, he got traded to Detroit, and I believe it was when the Bullets traded uh, oh gosh they they traded they got uh, they got uh, Moses. Yes. From Philly. They traded uh, Rick Mahorn to Detroit. And then that's when the whole bad boys thing exploded. But his whole career in Washington didn't win anything, so no one cared. Right. But he learned that from Wes Unsell. All right. All right. Six, seven. Rest in wow. West. You just yes, yeah. But you know, 
that's the one thing from the Detroit teams that I wish they gave more credit to. They always talk about Isaiah, Rodman. They they yeah. they never mention that it was actually Rick Mahorn joining the team that created the bad boys. And if you remember, they won the and then in the expansion draft, I believe it was, they lost Mahorn to the Yes. I think he was yeah. by the Timberwolves. And Isaiah Thomas yeah. said at their parade. Because they actually, they actually, the day of the parade, I think, found out that Mahorn had been taken. And wow, they without Rick Mahorn, I think they won. Yeah, one without him by their own admission, weren't the bad boys any of that because you know, Jordan rules and. Yep. Yes, sir. And that brings us to the big, the the one that here we go. You know, here we go. The 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 nineties bulls and. Sure, you probably know of the Bulls in the overall picture. Nor am I. Um, I shooting guard of all time. Uh, facts and figures is everyone else, but there's. There's like a disconnect there with they did nothing before Phil. They did nothing after Phil. Right. Now, they got finals, I think, like uh, in the late 70s. may have been early 70s. You know, bit of trivia. Before Michael Jordan joined the Bulls, the Bulls' all-time greatest player was Jerry Sloan, the guy that was coaching the Jazz. The Jazz, yeah. From back to back. Yep. So I'm sure there was a little bit of you know, yeah. angst in there with Jerry Sloan because the guy that's full franchise, you know, ones that knocked him off yeah. the pedestal as the greatest yeah. Yep. But yes, sir. I just I don't have a lot of respect for the '90s because it was so watered down. And they they brought in in the past the NBA would ban teams like one. Right. You know. And then they just decided in the late eighties because of the big boom at Jordan, you had Don, you had Keem, you had all these great players, you had Drex, you had Isaiah. Every town, every major city had a major star. And then 
you had cable TV exploding in contracts with WTBS. Yep. You know, so we have to expand. Got we got it. That will increase the ticket sales. That will increase the merchandising. We have to expand. They they threw in seven teams in like something like they did. Yeah, I think they did like six teams in like years. And yeah, yeah. Same time with new uh, CBA, they expand the rosters. So you yes. have guys playing in the NBA a few years earlier wouldn't have sniffed right been over yeah you know yeah for sure man so i don't have a high opinion of the bulls teams relating to all time teams right for the 90s, you know, they had the best coach, they had the best player, the two best players. Yeah, or two of the top 10 at least. Um, I mean, when you, when you look at it, I'm... Now, the 50s were lopsided. You know, the, the Lakers... Right. But as we talked about earlier with the Celtics, 10 game sevens. Yeah. No, in those game seven. Pretty easy. No. Well, he, he was playing but, Will. He was playing Elgin. Guys that we named. Yeah. We all talked. Yeah. The one thing, though, that they. Go ahead. When, when you look at the nine. The bull. It was uh, probably the Pacers, <laughs> and that's one. That that is the only other Hall of Famer that Jordan had to go against at his position. More than yeah, do most in Detroit. And then, yeah, which was mainly 80s by the time he right after their run was over. I think he retired like in mid 90s, didn't he? I think, I think so. Uh, Is then, Jeff Hardy second in the Hall of Fame? Oh, hell no, okay. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, Jeff Hornacek was, he was only an all star one year, and that was in Philadelphia. Yeah, it wasn't even with the Jazz, so. One time, um, you don't remember. See, this is something I remember being a little bit older. I remember them joking about if you were the third guard on the All Star team for the East, uh-huh. because in the eighties it was always Jordan, and then Jordan's backup was Dumars in the All Star game. But then there was always a third guard. 
Yeah. There's 12 guys on the team. They take two at each position. Then they take a third, uh, a third string. And they take a third string forward. That, and that's how they get 12 for the all-star team. And the joke, uh, you never wanted to be that third guard. Because in the 80s, it was always Jordan, then Dumars, and then it was a different guy every year. Yeah. You know, it was Moncrief. Then Moncrief had a knee injury. Then it was Jeff Malone. Then it was, you know, like I said, then after he was a one-time all-star. Then, you know, you you had uh, Jeff Hornacek was a – they would be an all-star in the East one year, and then they traded to the West. Yep. <laughs> and if yep. You, pass, then you only had to play Jordan twice, home and home. If the Panic or Central Division, you got to pay him for six times. Right. You're the third yeah. all-star guard. Then you knew you weren't coming back. You knew your butt was getting treated. It happened in a row. <laughs> Or you got traded. Yeah, or they got, well, Ron, did Ron Harper get hurt first? Traded to the He got traded, I believe, to the Clippers first. He got hurt. Okay. But, like, Moncrief got hurt. Uh, then Ron Harper was the third all-star guard. He got traded to the Clippers. Jeff Malone. Uh, got to someone, I think he went to the Timberwolves. Yeah. Hawkins, I think, went to Seattle. The, these shooting guards would be all star one year and then would get their division. <laughs> now, I just thought that was funny, but the only stalwarts, stalwarts, <laughs> you had Dumont <laughs> first with the emergence of Reggie Miller, then you had Reggie. In the nineties, yeah. <laughs> what about John Starks with the Knicks? John Starks never averaged twenty points a game. No, Starks was an All Star one year, and that was ninety four. The year Jordan was been there, John Starks wouldn't have been an All Star, right? But people say like that was Jordan's toughest competition. It's like the dude was never even a you know <laughs> the dude no. was never an All Star a year when Jordan was in the league. He never averaged when 20 they, points a game. No, when they started winning championships, Reggie Miller was the was the second best two guard in the East. Yeah. And, and maybe even in the league. Maybe honestly. in the league. Yeah, but, I was about to say that. Yeah, I was about to say that. He's you know. And this, he's super underrated too, man. Well, and but, this is another you know, I saw him against North Carolina in college. North Carolina they used UCLA and North Carolina used to do a home and home. Every year, they'd play. They yeah. play in UCL in Pauley Pavilion one year, and they play in the Dean Dome the next year, and they'd alternate back and forth. And North Carolina was winning, or had won the game. Uh, they were up by like three or four. I think King Rice hit like free throws at the end to seal the win. They throw the ball inbound to Reggie, and Reggie puts up a three-quarter court shot at the buzzer. Now, it didn't matter if it went in or not. They they had lost. They were down by too many points. Right. But 
what blew my mind, this is the first time I'd watched Reggie Miller live in a game. I knew who he was. I knew he was an All-American in UCLA, and I knew his stats, but I'd never watched a whole game. And he looked impressive in that game. But the most impressive thing I ever saw was he took the ball at the free throw line at the other end of the court, took the inbounds pass, turned, and shot a jumper. He didn't throw the ball three-quarter court. He shot a jumper three-quarter court. That rimmed out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before before Curry and Allen, man, it was Reggie was the best pure shooter that well, I had ever seen. I'm a little bit younger, but that I had ever seen, man. It was we got a couple he minutes. Had such an awkward shot, too. We got a couple minutes before we before we get to Steph. But Steph is not the greatest shooter. Steph is the greatest shooting all-star. They're there have been guys throughout history that can shoot like nothing you've ever seen, but yeah. they weren't good at the other aspects of the game to get to the NBA or got, but couldn't play defense, couldn't dribble good enough against NBA competitions. But they would come in for like last second shots. Right. Guys that were just insane. There was a guy at Maryland University back in the 70s named Brian Maggot. And the only reason he was on the was left time. He's the greatest shooter I've ever seen. But he was a little he wasn't a great dribbler. Couldn't play. Man, he could shoot a basketball. So he was on the team strictly to hit last second shots. If <laughs> nice. they if they put him if they put him in the game, and the other team isn't stupid, they know they see him warm ups. They see this dude hitting every shot in warm ups inside a half court. You know, I remember watching Travis Ford at Kentucky hit. I don't even remember how many shots it was, but him and uh, Mashburn, yeah, were having a shooting contest doing warm ups before a game at Kentucky. And Travis Ford was just hitting like half jump shots from the half court circle, one after the other, just over and over and over and over. And it's like these guys shoot insane, but it's all they could do. Yeah. You know, he never made it in the NBA because he was too small. He couldn't cover anybody. And he wasn't a good enough, he didn't have a strong enough dribble for playing against NBA bodies. But the dude could shoot insanely. But you see, Chris, uh, Steph Curry is the first all-star that can shoot like a pure shooter. So you get yeah. – you are great. But he's a great player. I mean, Bird would be a Hall of Famer even if he couldn't shoot threes. Right. You know, he still would have been a Hall of Famer. But – Curry is the first guy that is a MVP that can just shoot like the guys that do nothing shoot. Like it makes you wonder yeah. with how great a shooter he shoots, how did he get so great this game? <laughs> right? How did how did he uh, become such a good ball handler? How you know how did how did he you know learn to run an offense and learn, and all that stuff and 
ball screens and all this in addition to shooting and still be that great of a shooter. Yeah. Uh, that's true, man. Now, I know being Dell's son has a whole lot to do with it, but. Right. <laughs> before, uh, before we jump off of the Chicago Bull thing, I just I will say that yes, even though the '90s was watered down and uh, and it has a bunch of negative aspects to it, uh, I will say that when when the Bulls did get to the playoffs, um, once they advanced past like the first round, and so they ran into some decent competition in the semifinals and conference finals and. Their final oh, opponents, yeah. once they were, you, once they, you send the they herd, were so solid. Yeah, and, yeah. So, I mean, they had Alonzo Mourning in the Miami Heat. They had the Knicks with Ewing and Starks. They had uh, the Pacers, man, with Reggie. Uh, and then out west, I mean, th- those teams. I mean, that Seattle Sonics team would have now, been probably when you won, they might have been a time great team too. You know, same with uh, Utah. I'm trying to remember when uh, they were having all the trouble with the Pacers. Was Mullen on the Pacers then, or was he? I think he was still in Golden State. I believe they had uh, the Davis brothers. Rick Smith in one the, of the middle. Davises. Mark Jackson. Smith, Reggie Miller, Mark Jackson, yeah. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. I Oh. I hate when that happens. I can like, yeah, no. I can like picture the guy in my head, but I can't think of his name. I know at the in the when they played the Lakers in the 2000 finals, they had Jalen Rose was an addition to that team, but and Jermaine O'Neal. But uh, yeah, in the 90s, they were solid, man. And they the Bulls did play stiff competition. They did play in Game Sevens. Just none of them were in the finals. Yeah, they, they had were in a the couple, Eastern Conference Final. They yeah. they they had a couple out east, but uh. I'll say too, man, in 98, game six in Salt Lake City, that was a horribly officiated game, man. And if <laughs> a couple of calls go the other way, Jordan's dynasty, it might not have ended with that push off on Russell in that but, last game winner. But, That's all I got to say. But also, just, I mean, what people forget, though, even with, even with that, even and you're right in that, I believe, but even with that, Jordan hit that shot against Byron Russell, or actually against Byron Russell's butt, because right he hit that shot with five point two seconds to go. Yeah, point shot at the buzzer. In and out, but he missed it. Yeah, that one shot. If he hits that shot, of course you don't know. Maybe Jordan comes out and. 60 in game seven blowout. Who knows? Right. Just but it's like, a, like with uh, Phoenix, man. With Phoenix. Uh, also, in that game six, I believe it was Shannon Anderson or Howard Isley. It was one of the backup guards right before half, hit a buzzer beater, uh, a three-pointer. I don't remember if it was half court or in between half court and the key the top of the key, but he hit like a 40-foot buzzer beater. That was clearly a good shot that the referees ruled a no shot because they said he didn't get it off in time. And I mean, the commentate, I remember Bob Costas, uh, 
and Al Michaels, or I don't know if it was Al Michaels, but definitely Bob Costas. That was like that was a good shot, you know. That that was a badly, bad, badly officiated game. But yeah, I mean, the like, level of basketball where there should never be a badly officiated. Right. Yeah, in the biggest stage of them all, man, in the finals. But there you go. But I mean. We can't say anything else about the Bulls that hasn't already been beaten to death. So that's why I didn't really want to say too much about them because you already had a ten-part Nike commercial. So True. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, everything <clears throat> about the Bulls. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I watched a couple of pieces of a couple of episodes, but no, nah, I haven't. I haven't watched it. I tried watching the first episode. 20 minutes in, the shot against Georgetown. And they portray dance as a call to play for Jordan. Right. Championship. They showed him shooting the shot. And then they cut to like the fans running on the on the court celebrating. That's right. a lot. Okay, Georgetown got the ball twice. Uh, James Worthy had two free throws, and he missed them both. After Jordan, uh, yeah. winner, absolutely, they won it. I'm a mm-hmm. fan. And I was crying. <laughs> I was very upset. He hit it. You know, they won it. Fair square. But how they, the last dance portrayed it was really, really kind of, that, that was kind of, that was, that was really seedy. Yeah. And yeah, it was. I turned it off there. I never, I didn't watch. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it pretty much was. That's what it was, man. But... Well, that... <sighs> and and yeah, before uh, we get to before we get to Golden State, <laughs> right? Which, on because everyone listening is aware of Golden State because they've just been watching them for five years. Right. Uh, you have you have the Spurs. Now, yes. I, I really enjoy watching the Spurs. I live in San Antonio. Uh, you know, when, yeah, went to high school with Dave Robinson one year. Uh, didn't know him. Played him a couple times. Uh, it was. Is that a dynasty? I mean, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean,
saying like 70% of their games during that run with Duncan. 